Welcome to School Nutrition Dietitian. I'm your host, Dahlia Kinsey. I work with programs all over the country as a registered dietitian and school nutrition specialist to save operations time and money on everything from employee training, social media marketing, and wellness programs. Every week, I bring you tips, tricks, and inspiration from fellow professionals in school nutrition and related fields. Today, we have a special guest on the show from the Sprouting Kitchen. The Sprouting Kitchen is an innovative nutrition and group cooking class that prior to the current crisis could pop up on any local farm. Now Fallon is transitioning to digital learning and has some great tips for us today about how we can effectively teach even if it's not face-to-face. I know a lot of us are trying to stay connected to our parents and some of us are offering digital nutrition ed. And so these tips are super helpful for anyone who's either already trying to do that or contemplating how to do that in the future. All right, let's get School going. nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus, time to handle business. Breakfast, you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the school nutrition dietitian. Woo. transitioning and dealing with the current state of affairs like everybody else. And Mm -hmm. that's really one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show as well, because you have a business that typically you do all of your classes in person and you found a way to offer those resources to people remotely. So you've probably worked through a lot of issues that some people are coming across now with communicating effectively with people not, you know, face to face. So I want to get into that. But before we do, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background. So you have some experience working with school nutrition from your time with Food Corps. Can you tell me what you did with them while you were there and what your takeaways were? Sure. Yeah. So I I became a dietitian about five years ago and I was involved in a kind of like a garden and school program in my dietetic internship. And that kind of really sparked my interest in getting involved with school gardens. So I joined an AmeriCorps program called Food Corps. And that's when I moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I am now. And Food Corps is a nonprofit and they work with schools to incorporate school gardens, cooking and nutrition into schools in a really kind of fun and innovative way. They're in like 20 something schools all around the nation. They're in Georgia. I know that. And my involvement there was first to work with all of the schools in Albuquerque that had school gardens or wanted school gardens. And we helped them to develop their gardens and design them and how to incorporate them into the schools. And then we also kind of would add on nutrition and cooking lessons that incorporated the garden produce and kind of connected all of the dots there. And for me, some of the big takeaways with that were just how interconnected growing food was with nutrition education. So what really drew me into this was that I I witnessed how kids, when they were exposed to different fruits and vegetables being grown in gardens, they were really excited to use those 
those fruits and vegetables in cooking or to eat them. And I had really never experienced that, especially with kids. We know that kids are, they're picky eaters and they're hard to get them to eat healthy food sometimes. So to see them be so excited about it was really, really fascinating as a dietitian. And I also realized that myself personally, and as a dietitian, I had no idea how to grow food. It was totally new to me. And I was just so intrigued and wanted to learn more about it and really get connected to the people who were growing my food. And even in myself, once I started growing more food and and learning about it, it, the food took on a different meaning and a different value. You know, like when you, when you grow your own garden and you only have like that one tomato plant that makes it, all of those tomatoes have so much more value to you. So it was really interesting to see that. I would say one more takeaway from food core, my time there was that school gardens also are, of course, they can teach about nutrition and health, but also we used gardens to teach about other subjects too. You know, you can learn how to build a square plot and there you go. That's math. That's algebra. We learned about science, of course. We even did some writing activities in the garden. So just seeing that school gardens were really such a good tool for schools to use. And that was one of my questions was what your background was with agriculture before (laughs) you were exposed in the program. So nothing at all before? So yeah, I grew up in um, suburbia, New Jersey, where I, we like had, we had a farm in our town. We would go and sometimes get like, I remember getting like strawberries and sugar snap peas from there. But that was like my only exposure to agriculture. Even my dad always says that I didn't even want to, he would plant flowers and I wasn't really that interested in that. But I, I really was never exposed to like how to grow food until, until my dietetic internship when I realized I knew nothing about growing food. <laughs> so after that, is that where the idea for your current entrepreneurial project began? Yeah. So, so I did. I did a food court for two years. I actually did a year in Albuquerque and then I did a year in Hawaii, which was a really fascinating experience as well. Then I moved back to Albuquerque and I got a job working as an outpatient dietitian. So while I was working as an outpatient dietitian, I knew I wanted to somehow connect the world of nutrition education with gardening and growing food. I just didn't really know how I was going to do it. And I always tell the story, one of my most inspirational people along the journey was a farmer here in Albuquerque. His name is Lorenzo Candelaria. He's a seventh generation Hispanic Native American farmer. And I would always visit his farm and talk to him. And he just has so much history and so much love for everything that he is growing there that when you talk to him, you just want to eat everything that he grows. It's like this magical kind of spell that he has. And, you know, as, as dietitians or health professionals, right, we can tell people, eat your veggies for all of these reasons, and we can give them the motivation and the science behind it. But there's something that a farmer brings that is totally unique and super effective. So really just seeing that and I, Lorenzo also would always say to me, while I was working at the hospital, oh, bring your bring your patients over, you know, bring them to the farm. And we can tell them about different produce we're growing here. And I was like, I would love to do that, but you can't tell your patients to meet you on the farm. So we decided to kind of do a class together where we would invite the community, do some cooking, education, learn about the farm. 
And we did two of those and they were really successful. And then that's when I realized like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to do cooking classes that are outside on local farms. So. Oh, that's awesome. So it really started just as an idea and you tested it to see whether or not there was interest there before you developed the business. Totally. Yeah. It was an idea that kind of grew and, and blossomed over time. Tried it out. People liked it. I loved doing it. So I also, I applied for a grant through Siggy's Yogurt and they, I won that. And that really gave me like the, a little bit of startup money and, and kind of the like confidence, like, oh, people think this is a good idea. So yeah, that's how it started. That you know of, are you the only business of your kind in the U.S. or at least in your part of the country? Yeah. So that's always a fun question. I've done my research. I'm like, is anyone else doing this? And, and no, there, so there are, right. There's lots of like education and some cooking programs happening on different farms around the country. So similar, there are no dietitians doing this that I have seen. And to the extent that like a full blown business based around this idea, like there, I think there's things here and there, but I'm really trying to build a business where we're connecting health educators and farmers so that this is like a reoccurring event that can happen or weekly, right. right? So can you explain the full concept of Sprouting Kitchen? So you already touched on the fact that as an RD, you're unique, but what else about your vision for your business is distinct? Our vision with the Sprouting Kitchen is uh, first and foremost, we want to provide experiences for people where they're cooking, they're learning nutrition skills, and they're really getting connected to where their food comes from, right? A lot of people have no idea where, how a carrot is grown. They've never pulled it out before. And to them, eating healthy fruits and vegetables does not sound appealing, right? So we want to make it fun. We want to create that connection and we want to make food taste good. And we want to empower people with the skills and education to be able to make those choices for themselves. Also, some of our our bigger picture goals are we want to increase food access, especially in areas where people uh, don't have access to those fresh fruits and vegetables, especially local fruits and vegetables. So a lot of the farms that we work with here in Albuquerque are located in um, the South Valley area of Albuquerque, which is a lower income area and uh, a lot less food access. So we have partnered with a farm who can accept um, EBT and SNAP on the farm. So that people can take our class and then on the way out, they can use SNAP dollars to purchase food. And we also partnered with another similar kind of concept farm in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So whenever the coronavirus comes down, we'll resume these classes. But we really want to make sure that we are making food accessible to all people, especially people who need it the most. Some other bigger picture goals, too, are I've had a lot of dietitians and interested folks reach out saying, how did you do this? I want to do this in my area. And from the beginning, the goal has always been to help other dietitians connect with their local farmers to hold classes like this as well, because it's just really a great way to connect people to food and cooking and community. So another one of our big values at Spartan Kitchen is to build a community. I always say like, I love our classes. It's always a group of strangers, right? Maybe some people know each other, but they come to the farm, 
And by the end of the class, people are cooking together, they're talking, they're sharing food. And by the end of the class, people are friends and it, it just creates this beautiful community that is, you know, values healthy food and community. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So what types of things do you typically demonstrate or try to teach in the course of a class? Are you just using food that comes from the farmer or are you incorporating other ingredients too? Yeah. So the class usually looks like we get to the farm and the farmer introduces us, tells us some history about the farm. And then we take a little farm tour. Sometimes we get a chance to actually harvest some of the uh, produce, which is super awesome. Uh, And then we cook a recipe about two to four, depending on how many people there are, which is based on the produce that the farm is, has for that, you know, that week, you know, ideally we could do it all farm produce, but of course we have to supplement with some, you know, oils, right. Some things. So yeah, we're really focusing on seasonal produce. And then we also incorporate some cooking and nutrition education. And then we sit down and eat the meal that we created together. So that's kind of the, the full picture. Okay. And when it comes to the long-term sustainability aspect and trying to increase food security in areas, are the farmers also giving some instruction to the attendees as far as how they can grow some things at home as well? Is that an element? So that has been like a small element, but it is definitely something that I want to expand on. Yeah. We're trying to figure out, it's like, it's a two hour class, but it goes by pretty quickly with everything. But we definitely want to make sure that people are empowered to cook, but also grow food at home if they want to. So that is definitely um, a part of the business, but something to expand upon. And since you've gone through all of this growth professionally, have you started growing produce at home as well? Yeah. So actually my boyfriend is, is super into growing food. Honestly, a bit more than I am. (laughs) I, I like growing food, but I like, I love cooking. Like cooking is really what I love to do. So I love supporting people who want to grow food and I'll, 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 I like, to grow food, but it is a lot of work, right? To like have a business, have a garden, cook a lot. You know, sometimes you have to pick and choose. So for me, um, like I'm a avid farmer's market, love to support people who are growing food, but yeah, I mean, even just growing a little bit like a herbs on your windowsill is enough to kind of get you to see the the value and the inspiration you can get from growing food. So definitely. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, it takes all kinds. I don't think we should focus on things that we don't really enjoy so much, especially when you can partner with somebody who actually wants to do that part, because there are a ton of people who don't want to cook and say exactly the same thing that you say totally. about growing food, <laughs> about yeah. cooking. So it's like, why hurt yourself if somebody else really loves to do it? Totally. Right. We don't all have to be farmers. We don't all have to be cooks, but we can all dabble here and there and then really support the people who love to do it. I think. Exactly. So your interest in dietetics and nutrition, did that come from enjoying being in the kitchen or what made you interested in dietetics in the first place? I always loved cooking shows and I was always intrigued by cooking, but you know, I think my mom worked and made dinner and had three kids and I think when I was growing up, there wasn't so much of an emphasis on like, include your kids in the kitchen. But I was always intrigued by it. And I think 
really when I lived on my own in college is when I really started to cook and I realized how much I loved it. And then I always liked science and I liked health. So when I did pick a major, I was like, oh, nutrition. And then I realized how much I really loved it. So yeah, that's kind of my story. It's a, it's kind of a funny one, but I was also a really picky eater when I was younger. So (laughs) I'm always like, how did I become a dietitian? It's kind of funny in some ways, but Definitely. I, I feel really lucky that I that I kind of chose this career path because I just love it so much. I think it's kind of awesome that you're working with young picky eaters now, knowing that that doesn't necessarily have to inform how you eat as an adult. And some people, it is kind of a straight line, but for a lot of children, it's temporary and they need support to work through it. And that really will affect how they eat as an adult. Of course, we can all change when we get older, but you know, sometimes the sooner you make changes, the better. Yeah, totally. I always think about how, um, like my parents were really lenient on what I ate as a kid. And like, I mean, I think they could have pushed me towards healthier food a little bit, but their leniency really worked out because I was really picky. And then when I did kind of come around to eating a more variety of foods and more healthy foods, it never felt pressured. It never felt like I never wanted to push. Like I think a lot of parents really force their kids to eat healthy foods. And then there's like that pushback. Right. And I never felt that side of it. So I think, yeah, with picky eaters, it's like, yeah, you can offer them the healthy foods, but they'll, they'll come around to it when they're ready. So Right. And I like what you said earlier that you try and make the food delicious and the process fun. And that seems Mm -hmm. to be the best way to really draw people in more so than focusing on why they should do it, making it so appealing that the person wants to be involved on their own. But that can be, I guess it can be tricky trying to make education exciting or fun. Mm -hmm. So how do you keep your classes engaging, especially now that you've done the long distance aspect? What is the trick to keeping your audience with you? Yeah, yeah. So I would say in person, like the first thing that came to mind, especially with kids is like, it was funny with our cooking classes. A lot of times, like we would have some kid activities, like they could go, you know, pick flowers or something. They always wanted to cook. They always wanted to get their their hands dirty cooking. So I always suggest there's these plastic knives you can get off of Amazon or anywhere. And they're safe for like three years to, you know, 10, whatever. And it's great just giving a kid a knife like that. And they can cut, of course, soft things, even maybe like a zucchini is a great way to get them involved and get them excited. And it's time consuming, (laughs) you know, five-year-old cutting like a, you know, something soft, like an egg or like a hard-boiled egg, right? It's going to take them a while to cut it. So it's a really great way to get them involved in the cooking process. But when we're thinking more, or I guess too, just engaging in general is making it a really kind of safe space. I think anytime you have cooking education, a challenge is you're going to have people who don't know how to hold a knife and have never cut an onion before. And then you're going to have people who have been cooking for, you know, 30 years and just want to learn some new recipes. So really making it a space where if people have questions and they're not confident in their cooking skills, they can, they can ask and they can feel comfortable. And I think kind of laying that out in the beginning also lets other people know, Hey, Oh, there might be someone in this class who 
doesn't really know how to cook, maybe I can help them. So then you have people in the class who are also helping other people out. So it's not just me leading the whole class, which is a really nice aspect to it. And then virtually, so this is all, you know, newer to me with kind of reacting and responding to what's happening, but it has been super fun to kind of play around with how to make virtual cooking classes more engaging. And some of the things that have worked for me so far are, first of all, I always like to start my classes going around saying your name and saying something like, what's your favorite fruit or vegetable? What's something interesting that you've cooked lately? And I find that that just makes it feel so much more comfortable and like that community feel, even when it's virtual, that way people say, oh, who's in the room? And oh, like that's really cool. I like strawberries too. You know, <laughs> just those little things people can can connect about. And then also I've been doing a lot of like, just watching what other people are doing. If they're cooking along with me, I'll say, Hey, show me your cucumbers, everybody. Like, let me show, like we were peeling cucumbers. Show me what your peel looks like. Or we'll say, um, Oh, how are your eggs doing? You know, Jessica, like I'll just call out somebody and have them say, Oh, you know, my eggs are still cooking that way. It still feels engaging. And even though not like I've done some classes where some people are just watching, some people are cooking, that's okay. And I guess I should say my classes so far have been live. So people can cook along with me. But even if you were recording a class and then sending it out, really just think about if this was live, right? If we were all cooking together, what is a question that would come up, right? So I was thinking about the other day, like it's probably going to come up, oh, somebody doesn't like onions or they don't like tomatoes. What's something they could substitute here? Or maybe they don't have certain spices. What could what can they substitute for that spice? Think of those common questions that would come up that way people feel like, Oh, you know, like she kind of gets me. Right. We all love it when we're like, Oh, I, that is something I think about a lot and she understands me. So. Yeah. Did you pick up on some of those questions that people probably are going to have pop up for them because you do the in-person classes or what would you say to somebody who maybe is doing the class only virtually really doesn't know their audience and they're trying to record it in advance. It feels like maybe somebody like that, even as I'm saying it needs to test it with somebody who's kind of part of the same group. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say ideally if you could test it before I did that with a friend recently and that was great because we made like this spicy chili oil and I didn't tell her to start small and then add more oil and her was so spicy. Right. So like something like that, we're like, okay, we need to tell people to, to watch the amount of spice they add. But of course, if that's not an option, then do it. Definitely demo the meal just by yourself before and kind of make notes as you're making it. Oh, you know, chopping this butternut squash was a lot harder than I remember, you know, like, oh, if I peel it this way, it actually is a lot easier just kind of be really aware of those thoughts that are happening in your mind while you're cooking, because there's a good chance somebody else has those thoughts too. And then like, if, if you're a more experienced cook, well, okay. So if you're a more experienced cook, then you're probably going to be able to come up with these thoughts because right. Cooking is just a practice and you understand it more, the more you do it. If you would, are a less experienced cook, then just think about what are things you're wondering about, right? What are questions that come up while you're cooking? So I think yeah, just really being aware of what those questions are as you cook. 
Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anyone phrase it that way before that cooking is Mm -hmm. a practice and you learn more as you do it. Framing it that way does make it sound more approachable with there Mm -hmm. being so much entertainment on TV centered on people with professional training in the kitchen. And with the shift we've seen, at least in the U S with more and more people being in a household where both adults have to work or one adult is there and they have to work, you know, cooking isn't as much of a thing that feels accessible to everyone anymore. A lot of us have outsourced it so much. We don't think it's something we can do. So that's really helpful framing it as a practice. Yeah. Yeah. I always kind of say that people ask me, Oh, like what's your cooking background? I'm like, I started seriously cooking five years ago because I wanted to learn more about it and I, I enjoyed it. And like anything, it's a practice. It's, it's all about the more you do it, the better you get, the more you learn, the more those skills come naturally to you. And it's okay if they don't, right? Like I, I spend a lot of time looking at recipes online. I have a lot of cookbooks. It's really just a learning practice and find what feels appealing to you. I think like, I don't really like baking, so I don't really like to bake a lot. It doesn't really bring me that much joy. So find what brings you joy and find flavors you like, have fun in the kitchen. And just remember there is like no right way to cook, right? That's always a a good thing to remember. And when you started out, did you have a lot of failures or disasters or you started out using recipes you felt were entry level? I would say I kind of was definitely more entry level. Like I didn't do anything too crazy. I do a lot of like throw vegetables on a pan, roast them, and then add some flavor to it. Like in a lot of ways, I think I'm a pretty simple cook. Like I try to not go too crazy with flavors. And I would say that's a good place to start, especially like if I was always cooking to save money and to eat healthy. Like if those are your priorities, you're probably going to start pretty simple. If you're cooking because you want to learn the art and science of cooking, that's like right a much higher level to start at. And if that's appealing to you, then that's great. But you're probably going to have bigger failures, right? So I think it's all about like where you want to start out. Of course, I would recommend like make stuff that is healthy, feeds, you know, make big quantities of it so you're not always cooking and then kind of go from there. But It's really a personal preference. Yeah. Okay. Those are great tips. So you mentioned at the very beginning that when you were working with Food Corps, that one of the things you worked with schools on was using the garden in the school for nutrition ed. What were some of the things that you did with the cafeteria or with the nutrition department to encourage kids to engage with the garden and hopefully also with the school nutrition program? We did some really fun activities and I think something that's important to talk about too is a lot of, a lot of parents and community members don't understand how the food system works in relation to school nutrition. They're like, why can't we have better food? Why can't we have gardens at every school where the gardens are producing the foods for the school? And they don't realize it's really hard to get, you know, local food into schools and just the really long, complex process that goes behind making school food, right? So my experience with that was, right, we had these school gardens and 
the cafeterias we worked with were not really legally allowed to use the produce from the cap, sorry, the produce from the garden to go into the cafeteria. Also, we were not producing nearly enough, right, to actually supply food for a, a school lunch. But what we did that was really, really creative was we looked at what was happening in our on the menus for the school lunches. So let's say we saw that a tomato dish was coming up. And then we knew that in our garden, we were also growing tomatoes and we were growing enough that we could do kind of like a fun food tasting with the students. So we would pick all the tomatoes and then we would set up a table in the cafeteria and we would have the students run this food tasting and they would make it really fun, really appealing. We gave all the students like little stickers so they could taste the tomato and then they would put their sticker on a big paper board that said, I think it was like it, love it, or like not my thing, something like that, right? So keeping it really positive. If you don't like it, that's okay. If you do like it, awesome. And did you know on the cafeteria line today, we have a tomato dish that tastes just like this. So it it was really a good way to have the students exposed to fruits and vegetables in many different ways. And bonus points was if the students actually grew those tomatoes, right? So now they are exposed to growing the tomato, they taste the tomato, and now they're way more likely to actually eat that tomato when it's on their school lunch tray. So really just as we know with with education and food is the more ways we can teach people about healthy food, we show them how to cook it, we show them what it tastes like, we show them where where it's grown, right? The process behind that. Um, we show them, you know, who are the people who are making your food, right? If you know your school lunch lady or lunch man, you're more likely to also eat the food, right? It's all of those points of access that really help to change behavior in in, in kids and adults, anybody really. That's really great to keep in mind because, you know, everybody is usually concerned about participation because we want kids to eat with us because we know that we serve balanced meals. But at the same time, I don't think we always factor in all the little things that make someone more likely to want to eat with you. So those are good reminders. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we put all the onus on school lunch, on all the staff who work in the cafeteria, but there's only so much cafeteria staff can do. Also, there's only so much teachers can do, right? It has has to take this whole community approach where where we're teaching kids about healthy food at all different levels and and all different people in the community can can chime in so that that collective effect is higher too. That's excellent. Now, when it comes to buying local, so that is a concern that we hear in different parts of the country. Of course, everybody's different. Every community is different. Not everybody is concerned about buying local, but a lot of people are. What are some of the challenges that you have seen that farmers and schools face when they try and work together? Our school and food systems aren't really set up so that local food is supplying schools. We have much bigger farms, much bigger food distributors that easily supply our schools. So, so right, it's already a system that is set up that doesn't really support local farmers. So it's hard. And I think we all have to realize that this is going to take some time, but there is a lot of good work going on um, so that we can have more local food going into schools. I think that, right, some of the challenges are that the amount of food that a farm needs to produce to actually feed a school 
um, especially in cities, right? Like in Albuquerque, we have like 120 schools and we have one main cafeteria for all of the schools. So the food gets kind of funneled um, from one main source. And a lot of the challenges have been that if they're going to use local food in the schools, they want all the kids to get the same equity and access to that local food, right? So can a farm produce that much food? Vice versa is that farms work on a schedule, right? And they usually are planting and planning for their planting, you know, months and months and years in advance. So then schools would have to be able to tell the farm, you know, in January what they're going to need in June, right? Whereas most schools are used to ordering from a distributor who has everything that they want, right? If you want, you know, a bunch of carrots, you can get them. They're always going to be available. Well, pandemic has shaken things up, but usually they're going to be available, right? Um, But yeah, so I think those would be kind of the big barriers, but I'll show some some positive things, especially I'm involved in, in what's happening here in New Mexico. And there's been some really interesting policies that have been passed. One of them is called the New Mexico Grown Fruits and Vegetables for School Meals. And that is money that is allotted where schools can spend money on local food and it goes right to their cafeteria. Because sometimes also local food can be more expensive than maybe buying from a big distributor. Or so that's a way that also policies, right? An example of if we have more money and policies in place, then these kind of bigger systems can can change and adapt to preferences we're seeing. So, well, that's exciting. We try and be active about maintaining relationships with the people that represent us that can put policy like that forward. So that's exciting to know that mm-hmm. something like that is happening in your state. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. I think it's going to be really interesting for people to hear about your business and that virtual cooking classes are even possible. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. It's good yeah. to know that work is still going, you know, mm-hmm. and that people are at home learning and when things go Well, I don't even want to say go back to normal, but (laughs) once we get through the difficult stages of this, that we can pick up where we left off and keep moving forward and making things better for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to all the positive things that are going to come from also this pandemic. I think there are a lot of positives that can come from it. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Thank you. Fallon is so knowledgeable about distance learning and nutrition ed in general. I think a lot of the tips she gave will be useful for us, whether or not we take on a major cooking class project right now, or whether we just in the future find a need to do more digital or distance learning. If you have been using distance learning since the start of this crisis, or if you were already using distance learning to stay connected to parents in your community, please reach out to me on social media and let me know at School Nutrition RD on Instagram and on Facebook. As always, the only fee for the show is that you share it with others. All right, I'll see you next time.